Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. All right, uh, this morning, if you would turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, we're going to be reading the whole passage. It's kind of a long one, uh, so I hope you're wearing some comfortable shoes. All right. Chapter 19, starting in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men, of, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and, to, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to them, and brought brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in, my, in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. 
And he overthrew those cities and all the inhabitants and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of, to, of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the first warden said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. And we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called him his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this blessed day and for the gift of your word to us. I pray that as we listen this morning, you would Open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what Aiden has to preach this morning. I pray that you would bless him and give him the words to speak that are from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, thank you for that, Ashton. Now, I regret to say that I'm actually not going to be covering the part of chapter 19 where it talks about Lot's daughters and the, the cave. I forgot to tell you that. But I'm also glad I don't have to because that's a, that's a weird part of scripture. So we will not be covering that. But today we will be covering the destruction of Sodom and all of the cities that were in that valley. But before we start, we're actually going to pray again because I am a worry wart and praying helps to calm me down. And I feel like it's a good thing to do because this is a big deal what I get to do here for you guys today. I get to preach God's word to you. And I better do a good job, so I better ask God to help me to do it. So, God, I pray that you would uh, not just be with me this morning, God. I pray that you would be with your people as I preach your word. I pray that you would give me a skillful tongue this morning as I preach your word to them, God. I pray that you would open their hearts to see your mercy and your just nature as we preach through this passage. And I pray that you would uh, bless us as we go from this place. And I pray that you would help us to have a good communion with, with one another today. Amen. Okay, so I will try not to talk a million miles an hour, because I talk really fast when I get nervous. But, oh man, it's hot. Step back a little bit. So, today, we're covering Genesis chapter 19, specifically on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and what how Lot was saved out of this, and how specifically in the chapter before this, Abraham talked to God and was sort of bargaining with him on uh, how many righteous men there would need to be in the city to save it. But in this story, we get to see 
there wasn't 10 righteous men. But before we just jump right on in, I'm Aiden, son of Matt Gingrich, who is the son of Harold Gingrich, and that does not qualify me to preach at all, and that doesn't really matter. But needless to say, it is a privilege to be up here in front of you guys. I think it is amazing to get to do this. Preaching God's word is something that we're commanded in scripture, and it is quite the honor to get to do this, and God help me to do it. So, all right, so let's do some review before we jump into our passage. So I'm actually going to read Genesis 18, verses 22 through 26, to give you some context for our passage today. So this goes as follows. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, and Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50? The 50 righteous who are in it, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So, that's not the entire passage, but what you see following that is the bargaining between God and Abraham where it goes, will you not spare it for the 50? And then Abraham says, well, what about 45? And then he says, 40, then 30, and then 20, and then eventually it gets down to 10. 10 people need to be righteous for God to spare not just Sodom, but to spare Gomorrah and all of these other towns in this valley. And obviously we know this story. We know that Sodom does not survive this encounter, but it is, it's important to remember this promise between Abraham and God because God always keeps his word, even if that means he destroys an entire town because he says, if there's 10 in there, I will spare it. He keeps his promise in this passage. So, uh, sorry, I forgot to flip the page here. So, it is, it's important to see in this previous passage, chapter 18, and before this in Genesis, a God who has been characteristically merciful. Merciful to specifically Abraham in this time, where Abraham, what we've kind of seen of him is he's kind of a schmuck. So, like, lying about his wife isn't his wife, it's his sister. And that, that almost makes her marry Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh's like, hey dude, you're causing a whole bunch of plagues in my house right now. Why didn't you tell me this was your wife, not your sister? So, God being merciful to Abraham, even though he is a sinner. But it is, it's important to establish God's mercy before we jump into this passage that's about wrath. So, needless to say, let's jump right into chapter 19 now. So, let's look down at verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So, let's establish what this whole gate thing is in verse 1. So, traditionally in Jewish towns, you, you might have seen this kind of pop up in a few 
places in Scripture. But what this, what this is talking about is it's a place where the important men, usually the elders of a town who are usually a little bit older, a little bit wiser, they come and sort of settle debates in the town, whether it's problems or like land stuff. That was a lot of popular stuff that happened in the gate. But in this setting, we find Lot, who we know has come to live in Sodom, who is now conversing with these men. He's talking to them. He's in the gate with these guys who are important leaders of the town. And I would like to beg the question, what does this imply about Lot? And now you might be thinking Lot may be with them in their sin. He is talking to them and leading them in their sin. And I would say that's completely wrong. So what we're going to look at is actually a passage that one John Mormon brought up I can't remember how many weeks ago, but it was long enough that I don't remember. But it is uh, 2 Peter 2.7, and it says, and this, we're going to, we want to see a picture here of Lot's character and what God describes Lot as, rather than us implying what Lot is. So, it is as follows. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So, now our new question about Lot is the same one. What was he doing in the gate? Was was he pouring out his, his love for them? Like, hey, please stop doing this. He was tormenting his soul, is what 2 Peter says. Tormenting his soul every day. That's like, what, what a testimony to Lot. What a, what a man. As, and what John had mentioned when we are talking about Lot is the, uh, we think Lot was kind of just like slowly moving into Sodom as we're going because it says he's like, he's outside and he's camping outside of Sodom. And then we see him eventually in Sodom and now he's living there and he's in the gate. But what does it say about his character when we read Second Peter along with this chapter? We see a man who cares for these guys, obviously. He cares for them. He wants them to turn from their sin, but we do not necessarily get to see that today. So, another point to be made is Lot is not righteous for what he did. His actions are not what saved him. It is God who saves. It is not Lot in his actions. It is the faithfulness of God to us to save us, and he chose him to be righteous. So, Let's rehash a little bit and jump into verse 2. It says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So, establishing that Lot is righteous is super important. But let's not jump into further conclusions as we go throughout the rest of this. So a lot of people have said, well, actually, let me me retract that statement. Some people have said it's all about hospitality in this passage, whether it's the men of the city where we're going to see a phrase that they want to get to know the guys. That's not what it says. It's not what it means. Or whether it's Lot was saved because of what he did here in verses 2 and 3 where he offered his house to them. He made them food. He gave them a place to stay. That is not what this passage is about. 
And most people who actually make the mistake about this passage don't imply that, which I found impressive as I was doing my research. I couldn't find pretty much a single like article or like someone's sermon or pastor saying something about it where they're like, you know what? It's about hospitality. And like that's the whole issue here. In all honesty, if they were doing something wrong, they were just completely skipping this, which is because part of the sin in this is a sin of homosexuality and specifically rape, sexual immorality in that area. There is a nastiness to what these men were doing. And it's not just being gay is wrong. That's not, I'm not here to say, well, okay, hold on. (laughs) I'm not here to put anyone down for being extremely sinful because we are all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. But needless to say, I'm not going to treat someone unfairly for their sin because we're all saved by grace. There are more things at play here, and we will get into those. So it's important to not nitpick what other people have done because I think that also is not very kind to someone. But needless to say, I think the whole hospitality thing, ridiculous. Not not really even a logical argument because, I mean, a lot would be saved for these two verses. And to say that, like these guys later in the passage are like, we just want to get to know them. Like that doesn't sound threatening at all unless you take it out of context and you don't actually know what they're talking about. So let's jump into, ch- uh, not chapter four, verse four here. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So, in verse 4 here, I want you to see almost this sense of immediacy of these men, all of the men of the town, coming to Lot's house. It says, before they lay down, and if you know some of the stuff about historical, like, Jewish traditions, it's all about, like, where they eat. My dad actually pointed this out to me the other day when we went over this for the first time, and it was, like, They eat traditionally late, like sun is going down and they're eating and then they go to bed. And we can't necessarily say that's what's happening in this, but Jewish people usually keep pretty good traditions. So that could be what's happening here, but needless to say, what you want to see in this passage is in verse 4 it says not once, twice, but three times that it's the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. It's it's pretty clear who's here, who's here to get these guys. It's not, it's not a 15 or 20 guys who were like, man, we should go get these guys up. It's every single one of them, every single man in this town. There is a level of depravity that is viral, that has infected every being that is within this culture, every man. And that's, it's very disheartening to see it in this passage, to see that they don't, they don't want you to miss that it's every man. They say it. I think it's actually four times, because I think I counted wrong, because it's the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, four. So it's it's meant to be taken seriously. You want, they want you to see the level of sin that's in these men. But what they're doing here is not just, it's not just coming to 
see these men and know them. Like it says in verse 5 here, it says, Where are the men who came to see you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. This is actually, we've seen this phrase earlier. We've seen that when Adam knows his wife and she has a child. That's, that's not usually a pretty standard way of getting to know someone. But it's, I, just, I would just like to put that out there. Like that's, it's kind of out of context if you're like, they just want to know them. Because we'll see later, they're going to try to break down the door to get to know these guys. And I just don't think that's, like that doesn't sound very, very hospitable or kind. But you want to see these men are here to do something awful. They're here to blemish the set relationship that God has made between man and woman, and they are here to rape them. They're going to put it quite plainly here. Like, that is, that is what's, what's planning on happening here so far. But let's not lose hope. Let's keep on reading. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So here, we actually get to see a little bit of that, uh, what Second Peter was talking about when it's talking about Lot. We get to see where he says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Lot, know clear, or Lot knows clear and well what these men are here to do. And we're, and we're supposed to know as well, and that's why they make such a big deal out of it, saying it four times. It's every single man in this town. But another thing to pull from this is this is where most people are like, well, this is where you see Lot, and he's making his big mistake of the passage. This is where we get to see the unrighteous Lot, where I would, I would interject this. We have, made, we have been made righteous by Christ, and yet I sin every day. I asked for repentance, and I need it. And Lot made a huge mistake here when he offered his two daughters. He didn't just offer them because he knew they were going to reject them. He offered them to be raped, and that was wrong of Lot. There's cut and dry. There's no way to frame that to make Lot look good at all. There's nothing there. Lot was wrong for doing that. Now, I will say, the men will say, no, we want you, Lot, and we're going to rape you too, and then we're going to get those guys. So, now, Lot was wrong for saying it and offering his daughters. But these daughters also are not super defenseless in their actions. As Ashton read, and I was not going to read, and I'm not preaching on, but they do some pretty awful things to their father, which I actually, talking to Avery about this passage as I went through it with him, we talked about, uh, they actually say, like, they, they leave the town of Zoar, and they go up in the mountains, and they're thinking that everyone is dead. But they were in a town where there was people and they went to the mountains and then they thought everyone was dead. And I'm not sure how that works. They could have thought Zoar was destroyed, but God did promise he wasn't going to. But needless to say, this could have happened just for the fact that as Ashton read, he, they brought this guy named Moab and this guy named Benny Ammonai, I think it was his name, I don't, I don't actually have that written down. But to see that, they form these two people groups, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And God will later destroy them to show his power when Israel comes back to the promised land that he has promised through Abraham when he does the, uh, the good old fire pot coming through, going through the cut-in-half animals. That's, 
fulfilling this promise, God brings them back and he destroys all of the people there. He crushes these people. And it could be that he let these daughters live so that these nations would be born so then God could crush them. I'm not sure, but we know they, they are the birth givers of these nations. So, yeah, just to say, Lot was wrong for allowing his daughters to be offered. That was, that's not right. That's an odious thing. But also his daughters were not entirely scot-free. Okay, let's jump into verse 9 here. Uh, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. Clearly, if you had any hope for these men, it's gone now. There is nothing that these men wouldn't do to get into this house to rape these men. And that's, that's they're trying to make it clear that there is not a single part of these men that has not been infected by this sin. And I, another point that I think is important to see is the timing in which we did this, the immediacy that we actually see in verse 4, what it says, before they lay down, they were there. Every man was there around the house. It's important to see, like, what happened with these guys. They, the, the angels got there, Lot's like, hey, come to my house. I'm going to make you some food, and you guys can wash your feet. Not sure why they wouldn't wash anything else, but kind of gross. But they're there, and then you immediately see Every man of the town is there. Something, something, I, I can't even describe to you. Like, it's, God's work is in this passage, and I don't know if God stirred these men's heart to come so that God could put on display his glory through crushing them, but every single man in the town, they want that to be super clear. Every man, young and old, every man in the city of Sodom. Yeah, said that right. That was a tongue twister. But... What they want you to see is all of these men are here and they are here to do awful things. And just, just furthermore, poor Lot. He's like, he's out there and he's trying to, yeah, he's being a hospital, hospi what is it, hospital. Nope. <laughs> Not hospital. Hospitable, that's what it is. Thank you, Miriam. He's being very hospitable to these, these men who are angels, but what, what a predicament to be in. Lot walks out and pours out his heart to these guys. He says, brothers, do not act so wickedly. He knows their sin, and he addresses them as people close to him. He lives with these guys. Like, that's, that's rough to see, even if, like, some of the, if I'm at work, and I'm with these guys, and I have to watch, for some reason, God comes, and he's destroying Jacob. He's coming. And he's, he's shattering an empire. He just comes, and I have to watch everyone that I work with die. Like, I work with those guys. I care for them. Even if they aren't Christians, like, I talk to these guys every day. I want them to be Christians eventually, and I try to witness to them. But, like, Lot here, he's, he's like, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Because he knows. He knows their sin. But he also cares for these guys. He... He tortured his soul over their sin. That's, I don't know, what, what a testament to Lot, I think, in that, in that area. But also, what a predicament for him to be in, because now they're going to get him, and they're going to deal more harshly with him. And I think this is the moment where 
where God's like, yep, let's, let's flip the script here. And we're going to see that here in verse 10. So, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house. Now these men, before we continue reading this, these men are the angels. So the men who grab Lot and bring him into the house, these are the angels. Just a quick side note there. So, but these men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck, them blindness, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. So this is the first time we get to see a little bit of divinity, some power from God in this passage. And it's important to know these angels appear to be here to see this town, and they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to stay in the center of town. We're just going to scope things out to see, like, do God's work and see if it needs to be destroyed. And we already know God is omnipresent. God does not need angels to be here to tell him if he needs to destroy this town. In fact, we're going to see here that immediately after Lot's brought in, they're going to go, we're going to destroy this place. And God already knew in chapter 18, the chapter before this, about Sodom's sin. In fact, that's why we have that, that transfer, that conversation between Abraham and God, where he's, he's like, their sin has, I can hear it. Their outcry of their sin from the people has come to me. I'm going to destroy this place. And then Abraham's like, well, what if there's 50 people? I don't know. That might be worth saving. But it gets down to the point where it's 10, and soon we're going to see that there isn't even 10. It's only Lot, and that's, that's a sad fact to see. God is going to destroy, I don't know how many people. It could be thousands, but it's, what, what a sight to see. Don't, don't just see God's power and wrath on a town. This isn't, this isn't the monster truck demolition derby of God in the Old Testament where he's just going around and saying, all right, let's destroy this and rain fire here. It's like you have to see that these are people. These are people who are living, breathing, created in the image of God, who God is going to punish. And it's, it's tearing Lot up. He went out there and he begged them to stop. He begged them not to do it. And God's going to destroy him. But I don't know. It's just a, that's a, oh, that's a, that's a hard thought that I thought as I went through this thinking of, I've always had the presupposition of Sodom just being the worst place on earth and God destroyed them because they were the worst men who ever existed. But in reality, like, yes, these, men's were, these men were awful. But, I mean, you see anything from, like, what men did during, like, the world wars. Like, there's, there's war crimes for a reason, and they're not allowed to do them anymore. But, like, there are heinous things that mankind has done that, in my book, would look much worse. Because these men actually didn't accomplish doing anything here. They went outside and they were like, we're going to do this. And then immediately we see the angels strike them with blindness. They are helpless. But yet, not to let these men off scot-free because they didn't accomplish anything. Intention is sin in, of, in, in and of itself. But another thing to see here is they wore themselves out groping for the door. These men didn't even give up when they were completely blind. They tried to break in, debilitated beyond belief, to rape these men. Like, there is, there is not a thing that these men would do, and it's, it's almost ridiculous to see it. it. You can't imagine seeing someone to do this. But, yeah, okay, let's jump into uh, verse 12 here. 
Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because of the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Excuse me. This is where we see the decision is made. God knows he's going to destroy the city, but here is when we see, for the first time, man has been made known of it. Like to Abraham, he says, I promise you I won't destroy it if there's ten. But here to Lot, the angels say, we're going to destroy the city. We have come to destroy the city because of its outcry against its people that the Lord has heard. What a, what a flip immediately in this story. We see, the whole time, we see men who are just overpowering, who are trying to get into this house to do awful things to these men. And then immediately, within a snap, they're all blind, helpless, can't do anything, and then God says, I'm going to destroy the city. Grab the people that you want to bring with you, because it's happening. And I think, I think there's a, there's a, a not-so-funny principle in this little part in verse 14 here, which I thought was funny at first, when Lot is talking to his sons-in-law, and he says, they're going to destroy the city. Get out of here. And they say, that's a good joke, Lot. See you tomorrow. But in reality, like that's, it's a lot darker than that. Like these, these young men who Lot knows, he knows these young men. In fact, they're going to marry his daughters. And this isn't, this isn't like they are married. This is the, the sense of when you see Joseph and Mary betrothed to one another when the story of Jesus and he's going to be born. That's what you want to see here is a betrothal. So not actually acting marriage, but a man who has known these boys whether they're, whether they're men or boys, we don't know. But what we do know is they think he's joking, and they're going to die for it. Like, that's, that's what happens here. And it's, I mean, it was funny at first, because you're like, oh, he's joking. But you're not supposed to read it like that. It's meant to be, they see him not being serious about this. And they just saw men get blinded by angels. Let's not miss that. They just saw a work of God blind every man in the town, and they're like, you know what? That's a good one, Lot. And I don't know if that speaks to them being infected with this sin as well, but whatever it says, they died for it. So, let's continue here into verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me a great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest a disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. 
Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar or Zor, however you want to say it. But I think it's incredibly important in this, in this piece of scripture, we start, to, we start to dig in not just to see the God who is wrathful, who is coming to judge. We see a God who is incredibly merciful. We see, we see it here when Lot wakes up and it, with his family the next morning and said, get out of here. We're going to destroy the town. And it says they lingered. They stayed. And then it says they seized them by the hand. He grabbed them and brought them out. I think there's an important thing to see here of God doing the work of righteousness in Lot. Because God has made Lot. Oh, I knew I was going to do it. Just a little Easter egg for you guys. As I was preparing to do this sermon, I say righteous Lot a lot in this. So I ended up saying rot. So bear with me. What we see here is God doing the work of righteousness in Lot. Got it. Okay. But more importantly, it's God who makes Lot righteous, and we see God doing the work for Lot of righteousness here. He grabs him and saves him. It says, the Lord being merciful to him. And just a, a side note, this is Lord in all capitals, which means Yahweh, which is ironic because they haven't known that name yet. It's because this book was written by Moses. But they, he wants you to see this picture of it is the I am, the God who is. He is God, and that's it. That's the final word. It is him who has saved Lot, him being merciful. That's, that's what it wants you to see in that verse. It's not the angels who are there, and they're like, all right, let's go, and they grab their hands and walk them out. It's God grabbed them, pick them up, and throw them out. That's what happens. He does all of it for them. But I think I, that's just... That's what blew my mind as I was doing this. I'd never had seen that when reading this. Never seen Lot being called righteous. Because once again, like John said, I always thought of him being a pretty bad guy. Like, he kind of is painted in a bad picture. But Second Peter tells us otherwise. But you can see here, there is no longer any power of men being displayed in this passage. This is, this is when it stops. And just, just to even hit the mercy button a little bit more for God. He pulls him out. He tells him he's going to destroy the city. He's like, bring your sons-in-law with you. They say, no, thank you. We're going to die here. It's cool with us. But then he pulls them out. They linger, pulls them out of the city, and then he says, you can live in this little town as well. I will, I'll give that to you. I'll give you a place to stay. And we know he doesn't stay there because they end up being in a cave. But, like, it's just continually God is being merciful here. Like, a lot of people just are focusing on, once again, the monster truck demolition derby of this passage, which is just fire and sulfur from heaven. But like what you should see here is a just God who is merciful in his actions. And if he's not loving, a God who is not loving and is not just is not a loving God. He does, he does not work for you if he is not just and loving at the same time, which is why he needed to crush Sodom. He punished sin for what it was. And he also loved us enough to save Lot. He also loved us enough to bring through Abraham and his generations, his offspring. He brought us salvation through Christ. Now, there's, there's quite, a, quite a pathway through that. But 
just so you know, that's, it is directly descended from Abraham that Christ came in through David into Christ who then died for us and died on the cross for our sins so that we were made righteous, scot-free. God made us righteous, scot-free, and that's it. Like that's, God has assigned me to be righteous. God has assigned me blameless. When I go to eternity, I will be treated as such. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture that is. And God does that work in Lot here. He knows he is righteous. His heart aches for these men. He's so against their sin. But yet, we see here God doing the work of righteousness in Lot. But I think an important note to be made here is the city of Zoar. It is Hebrew for Honeyville, Indiana because it means small and insignificant. But, sorry, that was a joke that I didn't even make. That was my dad's joke. <laughs> but he thought it, I thought it was hilarious when he said it. But I stole it. Don't want to take credit for it. But let's finish out this passage here. God destroys Sodom. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of those cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace." So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And that's where we would have stopped. But, yeah, that's the end of it. But, needless to say, this is, this is the part of the passage where we see destruction, death, loss of family members. It's, this, is a, this is a hard one to see. Because once again, I gave that image of where I work going up in smoke. But imagine the town in which you live, you were looking down upon it and you just see the fire of it, the smoke rising from it and everyone is dead. It is a graveyard of fire. What, what an awful picture to see. Like that is an awful wrath that has been put upon them. But now we will jump into the cool stuff that kind of happened there. We have, we have some of the archaeological stuff. I actually think we have a little snippet of some of the cool stuff that you'll see. But does it have, does it have audio? I think we can go ahead and play it. It'll just go in the background. And I don't know if you can see them. I don't know if I have to duck. But what you'll see is him lighting something on fire, and that something is a rock, and that rock is made out of sulfur. So what, what you want to see here is a little bit of a, you can see it's melting, if you can see past my head, but that's a rock that's on fire, it's melting on the ground, and it stays on fire. And kids, this is the part of the sermon where we break down something for you. Have you ever heard of napalm? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to make it or what it really is, but imagine... Like, you've seen something burn before, and you can, like, wave it out, and it goes out, and it doesn't stay on fire. Napalm is the opposite of that. You light it on fire, and if you touch it with something, it then lights that on fire, 
And if you try to get it off of yourself, it lights more of you on fire. That's what this is. This is something, it is liquid fire that rained from heaven. It is awful to see what this did to mankind. In fact, if you go to this place where they have Sodom and Gomorrah, it is unlivable to this day. Number one, it's in a desert. Kind of hard to live in, but it's unlivable because God has ruined the ground and it is a graveyard of bones. You can go there and it's pottery fragments, bone fragments, and scorched earth. That's it. There's nothing there. There's no buildings. It's just death and decay. And it's unlivable forever, unless you want to take out like 30 excavators and pour all that dirt out for about 40 years. And then you can maybe live in there again, but by that time, you'd realize it's a desert and you can't live there. So, just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's irony to say that God would not allow anyone to live there ever again because he made it a desert, or if it's, I just think it's funny. I don't know. But needless to say, I said that in a, a happy-go-lucky manner of God's destroying of this, but there, is, there are some tough things that Lot had to suffer through in this passage specifically. His wife, who looks back and dies because she turns into a pillar of salt, I don't know what that means. That's a, that's a crazy concept. But needless to say, I do not have the authority to pin blame on Lot's wife for whatever she did. It is not, not in my power to say what she did, but whether it was empathizing for Sodom. But what I do know is she disobeyed God when he said, do not look back or stop. Keep going. Go to Zoar. And she did not do that. She stopped and turned around and then was made into salt or something. I'm not sure. Whatever happened, it was judgment. It was you have disobeyed God and he had turned her into salt. But needless to say, that was a lot of negative stuff that we've covered so far. But in this passage, what's important to see is a merciful God. What you know is kind of a stretch. Like that might be kind of a stretch when you're, you're not actually deep diving into this, but in reality, when you actually break this down a bit, there is a very merciful God who shows himself plainly in this. He has saved Lot. He saved his family. He offered that Lot could save more of his family, but they didn't take him seriously. And then God takes Lot as he lingers in the morning after God said, I'm going to destroy this place tomorrow. God grabs him, pulls him out. There is a very, very merciful God in this passage, and he shows himself quite plainly. But there's also a just God in this passage who crushes sin for what it is because he cannot dwell within it. How much time am I at? Ooh, almost 40 minutes. This is way better than the 18 minutes I did last time. But needless to say, what you need to see in this passage is a loving God who exercises his just nature on humanity. And it's not, it's not just God crushing Sodom for their sin because, yes, they were sinful, but there's another reason, and that reason is also seen in Second Peter, and I'll go ahead and read that for you, and it says, By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So this part of Second Peter is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah to show you an image of what God is going to do when he judges the earth. God did not give us the... Uh, the flood rainbow, where he says, I'm never going to do this again. 
In fact, God gives us the opposite. He says, I'm going to do this again, and it's going to be the end of all. That is the last time it will be a new heaven and a new earth. But that is, that is one of the main reasons we see Sodom treated so harshly here. It has been an example. I think it's around 23 times in Scripture it is used as an example for punishment of sin. 22 times mentioning a town. And that, that is the reason God is going to put his wrath on display so that we know what judgment is. But luckily for us, on the other side of the New Testament, we are not victim to that judgment. We are saved by grace through faith as the elect. We are included and indoctrinated into eternal life with Christ in heaven, eternal relationship with Christ. But to give you an image of this just and loving God and what he said about us in the New Testament, in Romans, he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to not paint a picture against, as I had mentioned earlier, homosexual tendencies, that is not exactly what's punished here. It is sin. Plain. Plain and simple. Here God says, for the wages of any sin is death. Any of them. It's punishable by death against an eternal God. Eternal death. This isn't just you die once and it's like sleeping forever. It's eternal death. Tor torment forever. But, on a happier note, Let's look at what this God did for us in the second part of this verse when he says, but the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this God, who is wrathful, who is also loving, who is just in his actions, because he has made everything, he gets to say how everything is put in display, whether it's the relationships between men and women, whether it's the obedience that we give him because he's told us to obey. This loving God took his son, put him in flesh, made him live a sinless life, and he willingly lived this sinless life. Christ is a part, but he lived this willingly sinless life so that we might have eternal life. And God took his son, put him on the cross, crushed him with the full weight of all of our sins, and killed him dead. Well, then Christ rose from the grave with newness of life, and we will ascend with him into heaven and have eternal relationship with him forever and ever if we are saved, if we have asked for this salvation. And so with that, I would like to say, please ask for it. If you are here today and you are not saved, please talk to pretty much anyone in this room. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Matt. Well, I was going to say Pastor Harold, but he is not in the country. Talk to John pretty much anyone in this room, and they will give you the gospel. The gospel is as such. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now all we have to do is ask for him to save us from our sin, and we have eternal life and eternal relationship with the man who saved us forever. That's it. That's the gospel, and all you have to do is ask. That's all of it. But needless to say, Christians, we are on the path of eternal life. That's, that's what I want us to see here, is we have been spared from this wrathful God, this wrathful God who is jealous for us, who loves us. He loved us so much, he sent his perfect son to die. We are spared from the judgment of fire 
from heaven, the napalm that will stick to you and burn you forever. Like, that's, that's not a good picture to have, but we are spared from that because we ask and because it's a free gift. But sinner, you are not on that path. You are destined for destruction. That is, that is a horrible place to be. But yet, I would interject, salvation is a free gift. God has made it in such a way that it is free to anyone and everyone who asks for it. And I, I beg you to ask for it. It is, it is a race to, a, not a, I don't want to say a race, a desperation to find this, a desperation to, whether it's belonging or it's just needing something. Like, this is, this is it. Ask for salvation from Christ, and he will give it to you freely. But, worship team, would you come on up? That's, that's pretty much the end of this, but... Thank you for having me up here. It was an honor to get to do this. But I'll leave you with this. It's, it's not about God just destroying Sodom for their sin because they were ridiculously sinful. It is about God who put on display Sodom for their sin because he is going to show us his power in the end, and he showed us his power in the work of salvation. But thank you. That's it. All right, as we conclude, I love that imagery Aiden shared with us of even in Lot's resistance and hesitation, the Lord, through the angels, grabbing his hand and dragging him out of sin. Man, how many of us, when we look at our life, look back and say, it wasn't the power of my will or my ability. It, was, it just seemed like again and again God grabbed me and dragged me out of it. It is a beautiful picture of salvation. I love that phrase that he used. It is the Lord working righteousness for Lot. Friends, that's what Christ has done for us. That's why at the conclusion, every week, as we worship together, as we look into the word, as we sing together, we come to the table of the Lord, reminding ourselves that the only access we have to the throne of God before the righteous king of all the universe is the fact that Jesus has died in our place. That his body has been broken instead of yours. That his blood has been shed instead of yours. So for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, we invite you to come to the table. Whether you're part of this church or not, you are welcome at this table. If you haven't trusted in Christ, we would actually ask you not to come, but instead beg you to search your heart, that you might not find yourself apart from Christ and under the wrath of God. Would you grab your bulletin and stand together as we confess what we believe throughout church history? There's been wrong teaching and wrong belief that have come into the church, especially in the early days. And all the churches would get together and they would have these church councils. One of them happened in a town called Nicaea. To answer, was Jesus really fully God and fully man? And this is the confession that they came up with, a succinct saying, this is what we believe. So before we come to the table, and the, the worship team is going to lead us in just a second, let's confess together, and then as they begin to sing, uh, come and take the elements and back to your seat, and we'll take them together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.